And that's what we're talking about today. If you want to have a seat, I'll, I'll share what we're going to talk about. Because you know, this book is the best-selling book in history. It's the most translated book in history. It's the most debated book in history. Um, it's the most divisive book in history. And, uh, you know, we, we, we did some pushing, you know, on, on Facebook about this series that we're starting today. And somebody sent us a message a few days ago that said, why are you doing that series? It's obvious what the answer is. The Bible is true. It's all accurate. It should be trusted. And so I messaged the person back and I said, okay, tell me why. And her response was, because it's true. And kind of the reason we're doing this series is because, guys, that's the problem. <laughs> She's right. But that answer's not good enough. That answer's not good enough. And, and sometimes we wonder why so many people in this world look at us with some of the answers we give and think, how can they believe that when the only answer we can give is because it's true? And so that's what we're looking at today. I want to I kind of take you on a little bit of a journey. Um, let me start with 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Bible says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, circle that, God-breathed. That part's very important. Some translations say God-inspired, right? But it's the same thing. And what that means is we're not talking about a inspired writer who wrote an inspired book long ago. That's not what we're talking about. This very book, it's saying, is God-breathed. It's from the mouth of God Himself. In other words, the Bible is not just a good idea. It's God's actual Word to us. That's what Christians believe. As a result of that, Psalm 119 tells us all of your commands are trustworthy. I can trust them all, every word. Everything in the Bible can be trusted as true because it comes from God. Now here's the problem though. There's people in this very room and people out there that you know as well who when I say that, they say, well, you know, that's great, Jared. Like, I realize what the Bible says about itself. I realize the Bible claims that it's true, that it's accurate, that it's the Word of God. That, that's a given. But how do I know that it is? That's a deeper question. And it's a very important question to be able to answer because it's one thing for the Bible itself to say this is the Word of God, which it does. But how do I really know? How do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the Word of God? That it's not just a bunch of fables or made up stories, that it's fact and not fiction. That it's absolutely true. People ask those questions all the time. How true is the Bible? How much of this is fact? Can I trust every word in here? It's one of the big questions today in our culture. And, and so today I thought it would be important that we settle this question. Because it's important not just for the people sitting in this room to realize that there's a lot more answers to this question than you may realize, that you maybe just haven't thought through, but it's also important for those of us in the room who maybe have a very simple answer, which isn't bad, but to maybe have a little more ammo in our back pocket for when people do question the validity of Scripture. And so that's what this is about, and, and we're going you know, to... The, the, the thing is, there's incredible evidence about this book and what this really is. There is incredible proofs. And I'm just going to take you through some of those today. And, and I would encourage you and challenge you today, don't make up your mind based on, on what somebody else has told you growing up or what some reporter said or, or whatever you might want to look at. Make up your mind based on the actual facts. 
And so we're going to look at some of those today. And, and so how do we know this is the Word of God and that we can trust every word of it? I'm going to give you a few reasons today. Okay, the first one, you may have heard this, but I'm going to kind of more prove it to you. This book is historically accurate. A lot of people are claiming that's not the case today. And, and let me just walk you through a few things. What I'm saying is the Bible is not just theologically correct. The Bible is not just, you know, morally correct and shows what's right and wrong. It's also a book about real places, real times in history, real people that walk the earth. Psalm 33.4 says, The word of the Lord is right and true. But it's not just right and true about your salvation. It's not just right and true about sin and things like that. It's also right and true historically. How do we know that, though? You know, because... The, the reason that we know that is actually by the test of history, the same way that you know other things in history are true. And by the way, there's far less evidence for some of the things that most people would all agree are historically accurate than there is for this book. But people don't want to believe something, they're not going to believe something. And so if you're willing to research it and look at this stuff, then you're going to come to a conclusion. So one of the biggest tests of history and whether or not it's accurate is were they eyewitness accounts? Right? That's what a historian wants to know about history. Was the person actually there who said this or wrote this? Was it firsthand, secondhand, thirdhand? Was it written down 100 years later? How does all that work? How does that work with the Bible? And guys, the Bible, I'm telling you, is primarily eyewitness accounts. Moses was there when the Red Sea split. Okay? <laughs> Joshua was there when the, the walls of Jericho fell. The disciples sat in the upper room when Jesus served them that last meal and washed their feet. You know, and they were there, and they saw him walk the earth after the resurrection, and they wrote about it, and then we read about it later. Matthew was there, and he wrote it down. Okay, uh, Peter was there, and he told a guy named Mark, who wrote it down in the Gospel of Mark. John was there, very close to Jesus the entire time. And Luke, by the way, talked, talked to all of them. He talked to, including Jesus' mother, and heard all the different stories. And it, the other reason that we know that the Bible is accurate is because of the way it was copied, guys. If you haven't studied the way it was copied, that's a very important thing to understand. Because we've all heard people say, well, you know, I I'm sure that when these things were written that many centuries ago, that they were accurate. But now, by this time, it's been passed down so many generations over the centuries. You know, over, over a thousand years was the period, oh, 1,600 years was the period in which this book was written. Some of that stuff had to, you know, become less accurate as time went on. Have you heard that? But if you've heard that, the person that has said that hasn't actually taken the time to study it. Because when you look into it, you find the extreme care in which this book was copied. The Old Testament copyists, they were called scribes, when they would copy these scrolls from one to another, it was literally the same as a Xerox machine, and I'm going to tell you why. It had to be exact. They had this long list of rules, almost like they were computers themselves, that they had to follow or the, the scrolls were thrown out. They had a specified number of columns that had to be on each page. They had a length of each column. It had to be between, you know, from 48 to 60 in length, and it had to be exactly 30 letters wide so they could always check it out and easily see if there was even one letter out of place to make sure it was right. By the way, they also had this rule, the scribes, where they had to copy, you know, predict a text on your phone where you start typing something and it predicts the wrong thing and it just sends the wrong message with a completely different meaning. They eliminated that within themselves because they weren't allowed as they copied these manuscripts to even go word by word. They had to go letter by letter. So in other words, in our language, if they were translating the word apple, they weren't allowed to go apple, apple. They literally had to go A, A, P, and they did that for the entire Old Testament. 
the entire manuscripts they had to go letter by letter, and they went by these tests to ensure that it was absolutely accurate from the originals. They knew in every book exactly how many letters there were of each letter. So if they say, well, in this book of the Bible, there's exactly 1,654 A's, for example. If they count them and there's one less than that, they threw the manuscript out and had to start over. That's how strict they were on that. They were so exact that they knew the middle letter of each book. They knew the middle letter of the entire Old Testament. So when they saw if that letter wasn't right in the middle, they would throw them out and make the copier start again. That's how strict they were and what a painstaking process this was. There's a lot of ways that you could see how exact the Bible was. One of the ways is through something that we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. Have you heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? So if you don't know why those are significant, I'm going to explain that to you. The Dead Sea Scrolls were written, and they have proof of this, about 100 years after Jesus. Okay? Excuse me, 100 years before Jesus. Before Jesus. And they have in them copies of the entire Old Testament with the exception of the book of Esther. Okay? The whole thing. Now here's why that's significant. Those were written 100 years before Jesus walked the earth. Before they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, the earliest copies we had of the originals were 900 years after Jesus walked the earth. So you see what I'm saying? What I'm saying is now that they found those, they're able to check, okay, now we have these that were written 100 years, copied 100 years before Jesus was here on earth. We're going to compare them to the ones we had before that were written 900 years after Jesus, and we're going to obviously find a bunch of errors because it was copied and passed down for almost 1,000 years. Do you know the error they found between those manuscripts was less than 5%, and 100% of that 5% was only in the spelling of names. Those are the only error they found over a thousand-year period of copying these manuscripts one after the other. Another proof, guys, is archaeology. You have to understand this stuff. You look at archaeology, and it proves again and again and again that the places and the people, all that the Bible talks about were real that they actually existed. It's not fiction. You can go find these places today. You can go to that part of the world and tour these places because we've dug them up. Uh, the Areopagus, where Paul was, the theater in Athens where there was the riot, we've dug them up. You can go see them today. Uh, the Pool of Siloam where the blind man was healed, you can see that place today. It's a real place. Uh, parts of Herod's temple, all the places talked about in the Bible, archaeologists have dug them up, and you can go see them. The book of Acts is actually a, a historical book. That's its purpose, and it, it, it's very historically accurate. Luke, if you don't know, was a historian and also a physician, and he wrote the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, he names 54 cities, 39 countries, and nine different islands, and today they know that every single one of those places he named in the book of Acts was a real place. It's been proven historically by archaeologists. You know, one of the cool things about how archaeology works with the Bible is that it has actually shown again and again and again throughout history that what we thought was historically accurate that contradicted the Bible later, based on archaeological findings, was proven to be inaccurate and the Bible was right the whole time. I think that's the most fascinating thing ever, that the Bible was later pr proved right because history had to be updated again and again as they found out more about it. So for example... For a long time, historians and scholars actually b believed that Solomon never walked the earth. The guy in the Old Testament. And the ones that did believe he, he walked the earth, they didn't believe the Bible was accurate because the Bible talks about him having horses. And they said, well, there were no horses in that part of the world during that time. 
There were only, only, only camels. That was the belief for a long time. Until they dug up parts of Solomon's area where Megiddo was, and they found thousands of horse stables with proof that there were horses. So they had to update the history books. Um, one of the greatest examples of this is the Hittites. Right? We've all heard of the Hittites because they were a real empire. They were a real civilization. It's in your children's history books today. It was in my history books growing up. But for a long time, historians didn't believe that the Hittite empire ever existed. And so then what happened was for centuries, they thought the Bible just made it up. But then in the early 1900s, a professor named Hugo Winkler actually discovered 10,000 clay, clay tablets that stated they were in the capital of what was called the Hittite Empire. And so now they teach it in school because it's historically accurate and it's all backed up. Okay? Number two. I'm going to spend a lot of time on this one because this is the one that you hear the most about. The Bible is also scientifically accurate, guys. Yes, it is. That the Bible doesn't have any bad science. And I'm going to show you that. I'm going to spend the most of my time here. Don't get alarmed if this section's really long. The others are really short because I need more time for this section. And this question comes up a lot. Doesn't the Bible contradict science? You know, isn't, doesn't, how do you reconcile science and the Bible? That doesn't make sense to me. And there's so much misunderstanding and absolute baloney about this topic, guys, that I, I, I need to just share a bunch of stuff with you because people who think the Bible is scientifically inaccurate either A, haven't studied the Bible, or B, don't know science. Those are the only explanations. The Bible wasn't given to us as a scientific textbook, obviously. You don't look in the Bible to learn how to build a rocket. You don't look in the Bible to learn about the Pythagorean theorem. You don't, that's not where you go for that. And the Bible doesn't use scientific language, but at the same time, in thousands of years, the Bible has never given bad science. Not one single time. In fact, it's always ahead of science. There are things in the Bible that the Bible said were scientific fact, and I'm going to show them to you, some of them, that science of the day said were not true, and later it was updated to prove that science was wrong and the Bible was scientifically accurate. For example, uh, Johannes Kepler, the famous, famous mathematician, the famous astronomer, he had this great line. I love it. He said, science is simply thinking God's thoughts after he already thought them. And it's so true, and, and I'm going to show you why. In other words, God's the one that established the laws of physics. God's the one that created gravity. We just spend the time learning more and more about it as the years go by. God established all of it. And so he obviously understands them, even in the years where we got them wrong. Because one thing about truth is truth never changes. But science constantly changes. Have you noticed that? There is nothing more worthless than an out-of-date science book. Right? The science books that your kids are learning with in school today are very different and even completely contradict the science books that you learned when you were a kid. The science books they're using today in a third grade classroom are not even the same science books they were using five years ago because science is updated that fast. They're constantly updating the science books. Um, a lot of things are in that book that are no longer believed or taught. Uh, in medical science, it happens all the time. By the way, I was talking to a doctor one time about a particular condition that someone in my family had, and I said, so I assume that what you're going to do to treat it is this. And he said, oh, no, we, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> that's, not, that's not used in medicine anymore. But it was for years. But he says, no, that's no longer science. I mean, how many articles have you read, even in the last week, that say that something that used to be good for you now causes cancer? How many articles have you read recently that say that something that used to be bad for a pregnant woman are now okay? It's always updating. 
Science constantly changes. Anybody here been to Europe? France? Those of you that have been to France, did you go to the Louvre? So the Louvre is one of the most famous museums and libraries in the entire world. If you go to the Louvre today, in their library section, you'll find a section that has three and a half miles of obsolete science books. You can still see it there today. Three and a half miles of science books, stuff that they thought was scientific 1,500 years ago that 1,000 years ago they proved wasn't true. Stuff that was scientific fact 1,000 years ago that 700 years ago they proved was no longer accurate. 700 years ago, 500 years ago, they updated because it wasn't accurate anymore. Guys, you can find stuff that was scientific fact 10 years ago that scientists today say was wrong. Here's what it actually is. Science is always updating as people do research. If you had, but here's the thing. If you had read the Bible 700 years ago or 500 years ago, some of the stuff that the Bible says would not have matched the science of that day. You following me? And that is incredible evidence that this is God's truth, that he understands stuff and made sure stuff got in this book that wasn't even thought of as fact in that day, and now today we know it was fact all along. That's an amazing thing. Because the law of gravity doesn't not work tomorrow, but it works today. <laughs> that's, that's not how it works. It works all the time because truth doesn't change. In, uh, in 1861, there was a famous book that came out, and it was titled, 51 Incontrovertible Proofs That the Bible is Scientifically Inaccurate. It was a very famous book. 51 scientific facts that we know in the year 1861 that the Bible doesn't agree with, and therefore the Bible is false. It was a very famous book. A lot of people read it. The only problem is today, 150 years later, there's not one scientist on the planet that says any one of those 51 facts is still science today. They've all been proven wrong, every single one of those 51, and the Bible was right about every single one of them. One of the proofs that we know this book is not simply man-made, but inspired by God, that God directed men and women to talk and speak and write it, uh, and we know is, is not just what we know is in it, but what we know is not in it. Because if this was written, which we have proof it was, by, by people that lived during certain times in history in certain civilizations, that we also know believed certain things about science, don't you think some of those things would have made it in the book? They're not in there. In other words, the prevailing science of the periods in which each section of this was written that were not true, that we now know are not true, are not in this book. They're not in the original writings at all. And so, for example, uh, for thousands of years, you know this, people believed that the earth was flat, right? And it wasn't until Copernicus and Galileo and Columbus that we discovered, oh no, the, the earth is not flat, it's a sphere. It's, it's a ball, it's a globe, and we discovered that. So you would expect though, because for thousands of years they believed the earth was flat, you'd expect the Bible to say the earth was flat because that's the period that a lot of it was written. Uh, that all of it was written. And so, here's the thing though, not one verse in the Bible says the earth is flat. Not one, in fact, it says the opposite. 2,600 years ago in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, it says God is enthroned above the sphere of the earth. And that's the original language, it says that. It's translated as sphere when the people in that time period thought it was flat. 2,600 years ago, the Bible said the earth is round. Long before anybody knew it, when that was written, nobody believed it, but God said it was true whether people believed it or not because it was. For thousands of years, people believed in the civilizations that the earth was held up by something, otherwise it would fall. 
that it had to be held up by something. And so depending on the culture you were in, you got different belief systems on what that was. For example, in Greek culture, they believed that the world was held up by a giant named Atlas. And everybody in that time in Greece knew about Atlas. But you don't find Atlas in the Bible, even though a large section of it was written in Greek. (laughs) There's no mention of Atlas. Why? Because it's not true, so it's not there. For thousands of years, the Hindus believed that the earth sat on the back of giant elephants. (laughs) And when the elephants moved, they thought that's what caused earthquakes. True story, you can look it up. And this is, this is the crazier part. They also believed that the giant elephants had to stand on something or they'd fall. So they believed they were standing on the back of a giant sea turtle who was standing on the back of a giant sea serpent who swam through a cosmic sea. That's what they believed. That was the prevailing attitude in that part of the world for centuries. It's not in the Bible though, even though it was written during that time. Why? Because the Bible doesn't include any lies. Period. You know, the Bible tells us that Moses was skilled and educated in all the wisdom of the ancient Egyptians. You remember that part? He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh sent him to the finest schools in Egypt and taught the prevailing science of that day in Egypt. And guys, the Egyptians were flat out brilliant. If you've studied ancient Egypt, they they did architecture that people couldn't even do today without the equipment and technology we have today. They, they were masters of engineering and astronomy, but the Egyptians were dead wrong on what held up the earth. Because in ancient Egypt, they believed that the earth was held up by five pillars. And so certainly Moses himself was schooled in that, in the science, because we know he was sent to those schools. Yet not once in Scripture do you find a mention that the earth is held up by pillars. You're not going to find it in there, so it didn't make it into the Bible. In fact, the oldest known writing in the Bible, most scholars believe, is actually the book of Job. Isn't that interesting? See, the Bible is not in chronological order according to when it was written. Job is considered by many to be the oldest piece of literature in existence. And in the book of Job, you find that it says, God stretches the sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. How'd that make it in there? That there's nothing holding up the earth when science said otherwise during those civilizations. And guys, I'm reinforcing this even though it's a lot of information because it is absolute nonsense to say that the Bible contradicts science. It just means you haven't researched it or you don't know the Bible. For years, it was known science that there were about a thousand stars in the entire universe. (laughs) That was known fact. And in fact, there was even a guy named Hipparchus who said you can count every one of them and he had this whole scientific system where he wouldn't miss any and he counted and he said there were, this was in 150 BC, there were 1,022 stars in the universe. He, He caught all of them. And that was the scientific fact of that day. But it doesn't say that in the Bible. In fact, it says they're numerous that you can never count them, right? As numerous as the sands on the seashore. 300 years later, by the way, 150 AD, A guy named Ptolemy does it again, and he comes out and tells everybody, hey, that guy Hippocus, he's a nut. There's 1,026. He found four more stars. So the science updated. Shoot, guys, they found planets in the last few years. When I was in school, they knew there was this amount and this amount only. And that wasn't even that long ago. I read an article a little bit ago where a guy said the number of stars in the universe, this is a scientist that doesn't even believe in God, the number of stars in the universe is infinite. It's infinite. It's widely accepted today. There's more stars in the universe than anybody could ever count. But we didn't know that then. 
Everybody accepted as science that there were 1,026 stars. Yet, 2,600 years ago in the Bible, in Jeremiah 33, God said the number of stars are infinite. And now we know that today. I guess Ptolemy didn't read that one. Or anybody else for thousands of years. I could go into so many different areas, guys, I really don't have time, into, into biology and how it lines up with the Bible, into chemistry, um, into medicine. I'll share one from medicine. For many years, people believed that the blood in your body is what made you sick. That was medical science for centuries. And so if you're sick, it was the blood that was making you sick, so you had to cut the person and let the blood out, and that would heal them. That's what they believed. It was called bloodletting. It was a scientific medical practice that they did. Doctors would cut a sick person and bleed them, thinking that's what's going to make them healthy, no matter what their disease was. That was true science back then. They believed it. It was because uh, Hippocrates... And so for 2,000 years since Hippocrates, who came up with that theory, they believed that all illness came from four bodily fluids, blue phlegm, yellow bile, black bile, and red blood, that they believed that's where all illness came from. Nobody believes that anymore. Nobody. But for 2,000 years, that was scientific fact. So people thought you had to bleed people to get the stuff out. You know, most people don't know this, but that's how our first president died. George Washington died from that. He had a heart issue and they were trying to heal him, so the doctors came in and cut him and bled him and it didn't make him better. And so they cut him and bled him again and it didn't make him better, so they cut him and bled him a third time and he died from blood loss. That's how George Washington died. Look it up. Because that was the science of the day. Even in that century. Today we know scientific fact. You give people blood to heal them. (laughs) Don't take it away. We do the exact opposite of what they did for thousands of years. We know that the life is in the blood, right? And good blood makes people feel better. That's where the life comes from. But they didn't know that for many years. But here's the interesting thing. The Bible knew it. In Leviticus 17, that's proven to have been written thousands of years ago, 1711 says, the life of every creature is in its blood. How'd that get in there? How'd they know that? We didn't even know blood circulates until about 1650. (laughs) You know, it wasn't until the 17th century when, when William Harvey discovered that blood circulates. They should have read the Bible. During the Middle Ages, there was the bubonic plague. You remember studying that. It killed one-fourth of Europe. And one of the reasons it killed so many people isn't just because of the plague itself. It's because of their misunderstanding of what was true science in that day. Because during the bubonic plague, they still didn't know that you're supposed to quarantine people. They still didn't have the updated science about contagion, that germs spread. They didn't understand germs yet. And, and so they had sick people with bubonic plague sleeping right next to healthy people, and then they wondered why one-fourth of Europe was dying. That's what happened. So it became an epidemic and then eventually a pandemic. But here's the interesting thing. Thousands of years before the bubonic plague, proven that it was written then, in Leviticus 13.4, God said, put an infected person in quarantine for seven days. And that's what they would do when somebody was ill. God's instructions to them as a people group were send the person outside of the city and keep them alone for seven days. If it still doesn't heal them, keep them out for another seven days. Once they're better, only then do you bring them back in. That's fascinating to me. That's thousands of years before we even knew what germs were and God's giving instructions to the Israelites about how to take care of people who are sick that lines up with the science of today, not then. I find that fascinating. I could go on and on, guys, but I don't have time. The Bible says in Proverbs 35, every word of God is flawless. Mine are not. Yours are not. The scientists throughout history were not, as science has now been updated to prove. 
Psalm 12.6 says the words of the Lord are flawless, but not just flawless. They're flawless like silver refined in a furnace of clay and purified seven times. Okay, number three. This book is also prophetically accurate, as if that wasn't enough already. It's also prophetically accurate. What does that mean? It means all the predictions in the Bible that God makes come true. Every prediction. The Bible is filled, if you don't know this, with literally thousands of prophecies, many of which have already come true today, and there's proof of it, and many of which still have yet to come. And you can find these in there. And I could do a whole sermon on this. I don't have time today. But basically, over a thousand-year period, 300 prophecies were made just about Jesus alone, the Messiah. Uh, Prophecies like, this is when He'll be born. This is where He'll be born. Uh, This is how He'll be born. There were all these things said about Him that all came true and it happened exactly like that. By the way, you don't have control over those things. Did you know that? Like if you're trying to doctor this thing up about yourself as the Savior of the world, you don't have control over where you're born. That's, That's ridiculous. Over 300 prophecies. What are the odds of, of, of me making 300 predictions about you and them all coming true? Astronomical. Like you wouldn't even say that's, that's possibly a coincidence. But yet we do with this all the time. The odds are so astronomical you couldn't even write that number down, math teacher, right? You couldn't even write it down. It takes more faith to believe that this all worked together perfectly as a coincidence than that it lines up because a creator or a designer planned it all. That, that takes more guts to believe that. It, it's, it can't just be random. A thousand years before, David, uh, before Jesus went to the cross, David in one of his psalms describes what death by crucifixion is like. Crucifixion wasn't even a word. It hadn't even been invented by the Romans until much later. Yet David's describing the death on the cross in detail. How did he know that? In uh, 2 Peter 1.21, it says, No prophecy ever originated from humans. In other words, guys didn't just sit around thinking, let's think this one up and write it down. Let's think this one up and write it down. It says, no, instead, it was given by the Holy Spirit as humans spoke under God's direction. See? During the Bible, guys, nobody wanted to be a prophet. Did you know that? In in the laws of, of, of that time, if you were a prophet of God and you got one wrong, you were put to death. So nobody wanted to be a prophet, you know, and yeah, so nobody wanted because you had to be right 100% of the time. There's a lot of people claiming to be prophets today, by the way, that are long, wrong a lot. There's all kinds of prophets. There's prophets, false prophets, non-prophets. There's all kinds of prophets. <laughs> but, but the Bible's prophetically accurate. In, uh, in Matthew 26, Jesus himself said, all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. In other words, Jesus said, look, it's all coming true as God predicted many years ago and has already been written down. Revelation 22, John said, The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy. You can trust them. They're true. Why? Because they're from God. The Lord sent His angel to show His servants the things that must soon take place. And guys, I don't have more time for this one, but the odds of these prophecies happening just the way they did over a period of thousands of years are literally astronomical there would be more chance of, of, of me asking you to all write down the same thing on a piece of paper without telling you what that is and, and then matching. That's the math. That's how that works out. Number four. This book is also thematically unified. What do I mean by that? It has the same theme through the entire book that is perfect. 
from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, and Jesus is the star of the show from beginning to end. And what's the big deal about that? Some of you say, well, you know, I've read a lot of books that have the same theme from beginning to end. Like, why does that even matter? You've read a lot of books that have the same exact theme from beginning to end that were written over a 1,600-year period by 40 different authors in three different continents? I don't think so. That's impossible. This book was written over a period of 1,600 years, from the first book to the last, by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages. And they didn't all know each other. <laughs> and yet it fits together in the same theme with the same story from beginning to end. It's a story of redemption from Old Testament to New. It'd be one thing if one person wrote the book. What I just described to you is ridiculous. That's not a coincidence. The Quran was written by one person. Okay? The Analects of Confucius were written by one person. The writings of Buddha were written by Buddha. This wasn't written by one person, so the way that it fits together perfectly is unbelievable. <laughs> it was written by 40 different people in every different stage of life, by the way. It was written by soldiers and sailors, priests and prophets. It was written by kings and, and servants. It was written by prisoners, uh, poets, attorneys, a doctor, common people. All sorts of people wrote the Bible under God's direction. It was written in all different places, in a cave, on a ship, in a prison cell, Outside, inside, you go on and on and on. Fishermen, tax collectors, scholars. You can't find a more diverse group that was writing separately and yet everything forms into this perfect, cohesive story. You, it's just crazy. It's a perfect book. But the Bible is also so much more than that because it was many places, many people, many centuries. And guys, it fits together in a perfect theme. Jesus said in Luke 24, he said, beginning with Moses, he's referring to the first five books of the Bible by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, that's the rest of the Old Testament, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning Himself. What was said to them in all the Old Testament writings written before Jesus about Himself. See, most people think that the New Testament is about Jesus and the Old Testament's about Israel. Not true. The Old Testament and the New Testament actually fit together perfectly, one proving the other, and it's all about Jesus from beginning to end. You can find it all throughout, from the prophecies to everything else. He's talking here about the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet when he said that. So he's pointing to the Old Testament, saying, here's what all this stuff says about me. The pictures, the metaphors, the illustrations, it all points to Jesus. Everything in Scripture from beginning to end is about God's story of redemption and God wanting to bring every person possible into His family. It's the whole, it's the whole story. And you can see Him in every book. John 5.39, Jesus says, you search the Scriptures because you believe they give you eternal life. But the Scriptures point to Me. He's saying, I'm the thing that gives eternal life. And it all points to Me. Okay, number five. I'm going to go really quick on this one because we're going to run out of time. The Scriptures were also confirmed by Jesus. And the reason that I share that one with you is because there's a lot of people, even Christians, who say, well, I'm good with everything Jesus said, but I'm just not cool with all the other stuff. <laughs> you know, I'm, Jesus is, is amazing what He said, but I'm not cool with the stuff that was written before Him. Jesus was. Jesus confirmed that it was all accurate. So you can't trust Jesus without trusting the whole book because Jesus trusted the whole book. You see what I'm saying? Matthew 5.18 Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter, 
Not the least stroke of a pen will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So he looks at the Bible and he says, Scripture is always true. And it will be till the end of time. It will never fade away. And when Jesus talks about the Bible, even the Old Testament, by the way, he's not just talking about poetry. and He's talking about history. I don't have time to go into all of it. You can look. Jesus taught and said out loud that he believed in all the prophets. He believed in Daniel. He believed in Jeremiah. He, he, believed in, uh, uh, he believed in Noah. He talked about Noah. Adam and Eve. He talks about the flood. He believed in Sodom and Gomorrah. He believed in Jonah and what happened there. By the way, those last four, the most disputed stories in the Bible by people who want to say that some of it is made up or myth. Those four stories. Sodom and Gomorrah, Noah and the flood, uh, Jonah and the whale, right? And Adam and Eve. Those are the most disputed ones where they say, well, those are just poetry. But here's the interesting thing. Every single one of those you can find in the teachings of Jesus and he referred to them as if they actually happen. So you can't, trust, you can't say you trust Jesus and you don't trust the rest of the Bible. It makes me laugh when 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years after parts of the Bible were written and we just go, you know, I'm going to trust that part but not that part based on my subjective and emotional feelings instead of what was fact for, for thousands of years. Jesus trusted all of it. Okay, number six. It's also survived all attacks. <laughs> if you know the history of the attacks on this book, it makes it very unusual. This is the most despised book, the most d debated book, the most dissected, the most outlawed, the most destroyed book, and there's still more copies of this book in existence than any, any other book in history, um, the most uh, banned book in history. Millions of people have died because they were unwilling to give up this book. It still happens today. You can go into countries in this world today and you can be killed or imprisoned if you have this in your possession. Korea is one of them, by the way. Not South Korea. South Korea is a Bible country, if you didn't know that. North Korea, though, you go in that country with one of these, you're probably killed, at least imprisoned and tortured. That's what happens. It's a real thing, and there's multiple countries that do that. The Bible's been under attack for century after century by everything you can imagine, but it's still the oldest book, the most published book, the most owned book, the most read book in all of history. Still to this day, that many years later. If you've studied this culture, its impact on culture, the Bible is the reason we have much of the music today. It's had the greatest impact on music, on art, on architecture, on all these things. The reason that we speak the English language as we do today, if you trace it back, is because of the King James translation of the Bible. That's where much of that language shifted and became a different language. Jesus said in uh, Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And I think we're seeing proof of that today. Um, Voltaire, he was a famous French philosopher. He was a brilliant guy. He was an atheist, but he was brilliant in many ways. He wrote a lot of stuff that became very famous that went against the Bible back in those days. And he made a, a very famous statement, and here's his quote. He said, 100 years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. That was his claim. Everybody's forgotten that quote, but the Bible still stands today. And by the way, for nearly 100 years after he said that, after he died, his home, after he died, was actually used as the French depository for the Bible. <laughs> and today, you can still go see Voltaire's home in France, and it's a museum where they talk about the Bible. I just want to throw that out there. Nobody forgets the Bible. 1 Peter 1.24 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of God stands forever. 
And mark my words, it will. The truth will always be the truth. And, and here's the other part that we need to understand. The truth will always be the truth whether you believe it or not. Just like all that stuff I already talked about. I, I could say the moon's made of cheese. It doesn't make it true. No matter how much I want to believe it, no matter how much it offends me that the, the moon is made of rock, it's, or it's, still, it's still not made of cheese. It's, the truth is the truth. Fact is fact. You know, God said it, it's true whether I believe it or not. And because it, whether I believe it doesn't change it. Truth doesn't change. And there's a lot of things that are true, by the way, that I wish weren't true. But they're still true. In other words, I, I, don't, I don't get to say, I don't want that to be a sin because I, I do that. You know, <laughs> it's, still, it's still a sin. No matter how it makes me feel, it's still, it's still true. It's what God says is right is right. What God says is wrong is wrong. You know, I, I could say I don't believe in the law of gravity. And, you know, I, I know you believe in the law of gravity, but I just don't believe in it. And, you know, it's fine for you to have that truth, but I'm going to have my truth because your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And your truth, you know, it offends me a little bit, so I'm not going to believe in it. But, you know, and it doesn't make sense to me, so, but it's still true. Because then, you know, I don't believe in it, though, so you and I are going to go up on a 10-story building. And because I don't believe in it, because that's what's real to me, because I'm entitled to my beliefs, I'm going to go ahead and jump off. And you know what? My head's still going to hit the concrete whether I believed in it or not. And that's the problem, guys. Truth is truth. It doesn't change. But that's what many people believe. And God gives you the freedom to deny the truth or go against it or rebel against it for your entire life. But that's not the end of the story because you can run from God your entire life. You can run from the truth of this your entire life. But every single person in this room at the end of their life is going to come face to face with God whether they believe it or not because it's true. And your belief or lack of belief in it doesn't change that. I'm telling you that because I love you, because it matters that much. The truth is, if I jump off a building, my face is going to hit the ground the same as everybody else's. The last one, the band's going to come back up, we're going to close. And this one, guys, it's a little more subjective maybe to some of you, but it's really my favorite one. The Bible changes lives in undeniable ways. Your life has been changed by the Bible, even if you don't admit it. Hundreds of people in this very church family's lives have been changed by the Bible. You know, I've seen, I've seen people with serious addictions that never thought they would get rid of them have been living clean and sober, amazing lives for over a decade now because of what they got out of here. I've seen, I've seen narcissistic, self-centered, do whatever the heck I want, don't ever think about anybody else, men who I've worked with that because of what they got from God's Word are now incredibly godly husbands, fathers, and followers of Jesus Christ. This book changes people in ways that are it's just undeniable. And you know, if I, thought that, if I thought that you could change human hearts by, by laws, I wouldn't be a pastor. I'd be a politician. That's why I'm not a politician. <laughs> because politics don't change hearts no matter how much you think they do. Only God and, the, and His Word changes hearts. You know, you, you, can, you can make a law that outlaws racism, but you're not going to see the unity of a diverse group of people like we see around here, like God intended it to be, unless you preach the true Word of God and the true Gospel. The Word of God is what brings people together in that way. doesn't matter what color, what people group you're from. doesn't matter. People of all walks of life come together and unite under the purposes of Jesus Christ, Period. You know, you can make a, a law that outlaws bigotry. It's not going to turn somebody into a lover. That doesn't change anything. God has to change hearts. 
God's the one that changes hearts. And so that's the business I want to be in is the heart-changing business. Jesus said it like this, John 8. If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Here's the interesting part. The last part of that verse is engraved in stone walls in secular universities all over the country, all over the world. Universities where they don't teach any of this. The truth will make you free. You can find it in the most famous universities in the world. But they completely cut off the whole first half of that verse. (laughs) It says, it doesn't say the truth will make you free. It says, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth. And that truth will make you free. That's what it says. You know, not just if you go out and make up your own opinion and think this is true and watch Oprah and write an article or whatever it is. No, this truth will set you free if you continue in this truth. That's what it says. Even, even when I don't like what it says, even if I, I disagree with it, even when it hurts, even if it makes me uncomfortable, this is the truth that makes me free. Do you believe everything you read online? You shouldn't. <laughs> Do you believe everything you see on TV? You shouldn't. Do you believe everything that somebody out there who's never been to a certain church in town says about that church? No. You shouldn't. Too many do, but you shouldn't. You should go see for that, about that church for yourself. Here's what it boils down to, guys. I'll, I'll end here. What is going to be the final authority for your life? That's the biggest question you could ever answer. Is it going to be your own feelings? Your own opinions? Or Jesus? What His Word says? And people that don't want to make this the final authority of their life, it really is not that you can't, it's that you don't want to, because it really boils down to I want to be God of my life. Because there's things in His Word that I don't want to live by. There's things in His Word that are uncomfortable. There's things in His Word that are hard to live by. You know, I, I want to be God of my life. So let me just ask, how's that working for you? Like if you're God of your life instead of God, did that eliminate all the frustrations and the worry and the anxiety and all the difficult things that, that you struggle to walk through? I don't think so. What's the final authority for your life? Why is the, the accuracy of the Bible so important? Why are we talking about this today? Because if this isn't true, we're in big trouble. <laughs> Everything that matters hinges on this. Our salvation hinges on this. How we get to heaven hinges on this. Our purpose in life that we have one even hinges on this. I'm sorry, I can't buy that whole thing of, well, my purpose is just to love as many people as I can and then when I die it's all over and there's nothing after that. What's the point then? (laughs) Sorry. That's not enough for me. This is the thing that says there's hope. And if this book is a lie, we're in trouble because this book tells you everything that matters. Last verse, Romans 12. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That's the opinions of this world rather than the opinions of this. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to the way the world thinks, no matter how right it seems. But be renewed by what this says. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I guess today I just want to kind of challenge you if you haven't already. 
just to settle this issue once and for all and just say, yeah, I'm going to make this the final authority in my life. Not my opinions and feelings, not someone else's stuff, this. So I'm just going to pray, and you can pray along silently in your mind if you want to, but God, I want this book, your holy word, to be the final authority in my life. All parts of it, God. God, we've only, we've only touched on a, a glimpse, just a small piece. We could go on for hours and days and weeks with the proofs and evidence in your word, of your word's accuracy, God. We've only touched it. But God, my greatest prayer today is just that if there was somebody that was on the fence, if there was somebody that had these burning questions that were never answered because the church told them they shouldn't be asking those kinds of questions, I want to apologize to them on behalf of all churches and pastors because those questions should be welcomed and answered because you provide those answers. So God, we commit today to make your word the final authority in our life because your words ring true. They've rung true for all of history. They'll ring true to the end of time. So God, we embrace you today. We embrace your word. We embrace the fact that it all points to Jesus, that that's what this is all about. That your story of redemption wasn't just for the people back then, it's also for us. And we're so grateful for that. We love you in Jesus' name and all God's people said.